everyone. Welcome to Osteobites. My name is Christina Itoma, and I am mom to osteoangel Dylan and the director of scientific programs for MIB agents. And today on Osteobites, we are talking with Dr. Breland Wilkie about the role of the immune system in fighting osteosarcoma and current and future directions for research studying immune-based therapies. Thanks so much, Dr. Wilkie, for joining us on Osteobites today. We're thrilled to have you, and we always love to see Kerrigan, an MIB Agents Junior Advisory Board member and fierce osteo-warrior, who will be our panelist today. So Dr. Braylon Wilkie is a sarcoma medical oncologist and clinical trialist with research interests in immunotherapy, targeted therapy, and precision medicine, and early phase drug development. She is associate professor and director of the sarcoma program at the University of Colorado School of Medicine, and is a member of the phase one and experimental molecular therapeutics research program. As a deputy associate director of the clinical research for University of Colorado Cancer Center, she leads the investigator initiated clinical trials committee to help advance novel research to the clinic. Her laboratory studies a tumor and immune microenvironment of sarcomas to identify new drugs that boost the immune system for future clinical trials in sarcoma. And um, before we get started with Dr. Wilkie's presentation, just a reminder, we have 42 days left until our Factor Osteosarcoma Conference, June 23rd to 25th in San Diego. So register now. We'll put the registration link in the chat. We'll be posting the detailed agenda um, sometime next week, but you can see the stellar list of speakers on our website now. Um, and they'll be presenting research on new therapies, discussing important survivorship topics, um, discussing osteosarcoma big data initiatives, the latest on liquid biopsies for osteosarcoma, and lots more. We have lots of fun activities planned for our Osteo Warriors HQ, which is free to Osteo Warriors and siblings ages 18 and under. And we're going to have some really great supportive programs in our wellness track, which is new this year for our caregivers and bereaved families who need a break from the scientific sessions, but want to find a community that can totally relate to what you are going through. Um, so we'll put the information about Factor in the chat. And we would like to thank the sponsor of this episode, BTG Specialty Pharmaceuticals. BTG provides rescue medicines typically used in emergency rooms and intensive care units to treat patients for whom there are limited treatment options. They're dedicated to delivering quality medicines that make a real difference to patients and their families through the development, manufacture, and commercialization of pharmaceutical products. Their current portfolio of antidotes counteracts certain snake venoms and the toxicity associated with some heart cancer medications. Their drug Viraxase is for high-dose methotrexate toxicity. All right, Kerrigan, do you wanna introduce yourself and maybe spill the tea on osteo? Yes, of course. Hello, everyone. It's so great to be here as always. My name is Kerrigan Nelson. I'm 21 years old. I am from the smallest state of Rhode Island. I have been fighting osteosarcoma for the past three years. I've relapsed two times and I am above the knee amputee. Um, I'm a family girl. I love to be with my family and I love singing as well. And I'm also a part of the new podcast called Osteo, Spilling the Tea on Osteosarcoma. Um, we talk about childhood cancer, um, cancer, the struggles about it and, um, you know, everything above and beyond from missing out on high school prom, the anxiety of relapse, um, talking about scans, like I could go on and on. We talk about everything. And um, yeah, if you're interested in joining, it is once a month on Thursdays, but um, I, well, we can put a link in, right? 
Uh-huh. I just dropped okay. the link. Okay, in perfect. The where you can subscribe to the podcast. Okay, perfect. Thank you. All right. And then Dr. Wilkie, we'll hand it over to you if you want to go ahead and start right. sharing your slides. Thanks so much for the introduction. Great to be here. Great to see everybody. Well, not really see everybody, but at least, you know, sort of see you over this uh, virtual platform. Let me just move this. All right. Can everybody see my slides? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, so we're going to talk today a little bit about my absolutely favorite topic, which is how we boost the immune system to fight cancer. And specifically, we're going to look at immunotherapy for osteosarcoma. Where do we go from here? So please interrupt um, if you have questions at any time, or if you don't understand something, because this can get a little bit crazy. I'm going to try to keep it very straightforward and um, just so accessible so that everybody kind of gets a sense of what we're talking about here. All right, so first question we're going to ask, how does our immune system fight cancer to begin with? Okay, so cancer is by definition our normal cells that are then damaged. Um, so there has to be something wrong with them, a mutation, a mistake in the genetic code that then creates a broken protein. Okay, so this broken protein that's a sign of a damaged cell is called an antigen. We have a whole host of specialized immune cells. Um, I think of them kind of like the policemen of the body and the antigen presenting cells, policemen cells go around and they're looking for evidence of threats like these cancer antigens. They scoop up the antigens and then they head to our lymph nodes, which is what a lot of people call their glands. Like we've got lymph nodes here under your jaw, got them in your armpits, in your groins. Uh, but that's where the heavy lifting happens, where the antigen presenting cell goes up to the big daddy immune cells, the T cells, and they present their evidence. And the T cell says either, yep, that's a threat or no, that's a good guy. We're not going to kill it. If they do pick up the threat, um, they become activated. They multiply into a clone, meaning a whole population of T cells that are specific for that one little piece of evidence that got brought to them. They grow up into billions and billions, and then they head out into the bloodstream again to find and kill the cancer. So that's basically how the immune system works um, in this whole process. So why then do we get cancer at all? If our immune system is able to find it and kill it, why are we still dealing with cancers like osteosarcoma? Well, the problem is our immune system does a really good job at recognizing something like a virus or a bacteria as being foreign, easy threat, not a problem. But when they're in that T cell state where it's trying to figure out if it's a self protein, which it should not attack, we're programmed to not attack our own normal cells, or if it's a threat, it can get confused. Um, and the more, the more broken the, the cell is, the more damaged the cancer is, which comes out with cancer mutations or genetic mutations, the more foreign the proteins are gonna look in general. And there are certain proteins that we call neoantigens or new antigens that go with those damaged cells. So not all of the cancer cells will be the same. That's a common misconception. Um, you can have a cancer that in one spot responds really well to treatment and then other places it doesn't. Same thing with the immune system. The immune system can recognize certain cells better than others. And so you filter and you select for the fittest cells or the cells that are easiest and have the best time hiding from the immune system. 
Um, the other thing that cancer can do is it can recruit other types of cells um, to help it. So in our bodies, our immune systems are constantly in a state of yin and yang or on and off. We've got good go get them inflammation cells. And then we've got hold up, cool off, don't go crazy, suppressive, suppressive cells. It's always in a balance. Um, and so what happens then is the cancer can draw in the suppressive types of immune cells to kind of hang out with it in the tumor. And that prevents good reactions from the immune system. Um, the other thing it can do is it can create an environment that's hostile for those brand new immune cells to live. And that can be because there's no good blood flow, there's no nutrients, there's no oxygen, all those things can happen. And then finally, there's this, this shutoff mechanism called an immune checkpoint. And it's literally like the light switch shown here. We use in our immune system, these proteins to say go or stop as far as the immune reaction goes. And the shutoff ones are these immune checkpoints. And so the cancer cells can actually put those on the surface of their um, membrane and just turn off the immune system directly, turning off the light switch. So these are all ways that the immune system can get messed up. So what is immunotherapy then? There are three main things that we'll mention today, two more than others. But so you can either try to assume that you already have an immune response to your cancer, meaning that process we just talked about has happened, but the cells are just having a hard time getting up and getting going. And so checkpoint protein inhibitors or blockers reverse that shutoff signal, that light switch we were just talking about. They block that so that those cells then can turn on. The other possibility is to use something like a vaccine or a virus to trigger your immune system and make a new response to a cancer, um, usually through like a vaccine where you give it a specific supply of, of proteins to react to. And then the third way is that you can bypass this whole process if you know the target or you can take out somebody's immune cells and engineer them or manipulate them to be specific for the cancer grow them up into the army, just like what was happening in the lymph nodes, but then give them back. And that's usually T cell products, at least what we'll talk about today, although there are other types of immune cells getting looked at with this technology. So that's sort of the main goals of immune therapy. So we're going to talk today about how foreign is osteosarcoma? Is it a tumor that actually can be recognized by the immune system to begin with or not? We're gonna talk about tumors that we use to boost the foreignness of osteosarcoma. So what can we do to make the cancer look more damaged or look more foreign so that the immune system has an easier time? There's also treatments that might help to create a more active or healthy environment for our immune cells in the tumor, like getting rid of those nasty suppressive cells or fixing things like bad metabolism and bad blood flow. And then we're gonna focus with all of these things on the most exciting clinical trials that are out there now looking for immune therapy um, for osteosarcomas. So can osteosarcoma trigger the immune system? So basically what has to happen here um, is when you have, this is like a little schema, but basically you have a T cell that's the red Lego here. <laughs> Sorry, we're getting real sophisticated. We're gonna talk about Legos today. Um, the T cell, which is the immune cell, has to recognize the tumor cell, okay? And this is your antigen. So this is one way where, you know, when we're thinking about whether a broken cancer cell can trigger an immune response or not, it comes down to this fit. It's literally like a Lego 
where structurally those two pieces have to come together and they have to bind tightly in order to trigger a kill in order for the T cell to be able to kill the tumor cell. And so this group, um, these researchers, Dr. Wu, and then also on this paper is Dr. Andy Livingston, who I'm not sure has ever talked on, um, on this platform or not. Yeah, he, has. he has, right? Yeah. yeah, he's great. So he did this work. He might've even talked about this work, but just to summarize quickly, um, their team at MD Anderson did genomic testing or mapping of the code on 35 osteosarcoma tumors from kids and adults. And what their goal was, was to look to in all those tumors to find mistakes, mutations, and other genetic problems, and then predict using the Lego model, if you will, whether or not those proteins were likely to be able to be recognized and seen by the immune system. Are they likely to create a good triggering neoantigen, cancer-associated antigen? And so what happened? So this graph here is basically showing you um, all of the mutations. So this, each one of these bars is a patient and you can see the number of mutations they found on the, the left side here. So there's a decent number of mutations, but when they did the Lego model, which really is a big computer that predicts structure and how things would bind and stick together, only the red bars here were predicted to be neoantigens, meaning proteins that could be recognized by the immune system. So this was sort of a clue that, yeah, there's a lot going on. Osteo is a, a damaged tumor, but those proteins that are likely to be broken are not necessarily going to be picked up by the immune system very well. Um, so then the next question they asked was, well, are there immune cells present in the tumors or not? And they did something called an immune score using the genetic testing that I won't get into too much but the immune score was then compared to other types of cancer that can respond to immune therapy. So basically it's a scale to say, okay, there's a lot of immune activity or there's not a lot of immune activity. And I'll show you that information in a second. But the other thing they wanted to look at was, you know, in the tumor, are there T cell clones? And when I say clones, this is talking about a T cell that's specific for one particular thing because it's been educated and expanded and made its little army. Um, are the clones that are in the tumors likely to be able to recognize a bunch of different things like the cold you had two years ago or you know, some sort of allergy exposure, a bad mosquito bite? Is it random? Are there a whole bunch of different things that they're specific for? Or are there a, just a few clones that they find that are more organized because those are the ones having just a few that are better organized and more of them usually go with cancer type T cells. Does that make sense to everybody? That's a little bit of a weird concept. Hearing none, I'll go ahead. So this is the data for the immune score. So what we're looking at here is the higher the marker up here on the left, the higher the immune activity based on the genetics based on the, the scoring that they used. And these are a whole bunch of different types of tumors, but the ones that we care about and the ones they looked at are marked by these black triangles. These are all osteosarcomas. So you can see by the immune score, it's not half bad. It's kind of in the middle of the road. So you'd think that there's potential here, like your immune system's doing something, it's trying to fight the cancer. So why, you know, why are we not seeing better results with these immune treatments? And that's kind of what we're gonna talk about. 
Um, so the other thing to point out, in addition to what I just showed you, is that 64% of the osteosarcoma patients in this study had either medium or high uh, T cells in the tumors, especially in lung metastases when the cancer goes to the lungs. Um, and this sorted out into these three clusters that you can see here, the red, green, and blue for different types of osteosarcomas in this study. But when they checked this clone idea, what they found is that even though there's lots of T cells in the tumors, they weren't organized. They were, they were not specific for individual proteins. There was sort of a little bit of everything in the tumor. And so that's where we're wondering if maybe that's part of the problem. So lots of T cells, but not organized. And so why is that? So overall, um, this the way we put this together is that even though we've got mutations and we've got T cells, that doesn't necessarily mean our immune system is very organized and can and be effective for most patients. And this is exactly what we see when we try to treat with a checkpoint inhibitor, which relies on the presence of a good pre-programmed immune response to actually work. So this is our waterfall plots where every bar is a patient and every patient got treated with pembrolizumab or Keytruda in the trial um, from Dr. Tabi and the whole group. And only one patient had their tumor decrease below that 30% threshold. Some stable, but overall, there's, this is not a great treatment for osteosarcoma by itself. I'm sorry, my animation's messed up. Do we know what was special about that <laughs> patient that it was? Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's what we want to know. And when you see a result like this, this is the most important time to delve in and do that genetic testing. My guess, and I'm just going to throw this out there because we don't have this data yet that I'm aware of anyway. Some osteosarcoma patients, they might have a higher number of mistakes and more mistakes because they've got, their tumor is coming out of some sort of cancer syndrome. So these are people that have inherited tendencies towards getting cancer or something like Lee Fraumini, or um, so I've had patients actually with BRCA uh, mutations, which is a DNA repair deficit, but they then they wind up getting osteosarcoma. And so patients that have a really, really high number of mistakes are much more likely to respond to checkpoints because there's a lot more foreign things and the chance of your Lego complex working and for something to fit tightly is better. So it's always reasonable, especially in kids, I think, to do the genetic testing, figure out, you know, what's in the tumor, and then also make sure that there's not some sort of inherited um, genetic syndrome, because that could actually change things. So that my guess is that that one patient is going to be one of these people. It's only about 28% of patients. So the goals for treatment then with everything we know so far, um, we need to deal with this lack of foreignness. We either we need to make more antigens or fix the ones that are there. And then maybe the immune cells that are already programmed just can't get into the tumor. Um, so they're not really able to be effective or they're getting shut down. And so how do we try to fix this? So this is a busy picture, but basically we can deal with mutations or what I think one way to do this is with chemotherapy and radiation, even though we don't normally use radiation in osteosarcoma that much, both of these have been shown to damage the cells enough that they start spitting out and, and damage products. So like pieces of cells that fall apart and inflammation and all that sort of thing is a really good stimulus to the immune system. And it's funny because people always think chemo is suppressing and blocking your immune system, 
but they're during that initial phase is actually a big booster to your immune system to go in there and, and start recognizing that things are damaged. Um, so that's one thing we can talk about. Um, the other thing is, like I had said before, we could give T cells that we grow outside in the lab that are already programmed to be specific if we know the specific cancer target we're interested in. So we'll talk a little bit about some trials that are going on with that approach. And then finally, um, how do we target some of these pathways that promote this immune cells stalling and not really doing its thing? And so we'll, there's a couple of trials focused on this as well. So that's where we're heading. So boosting the eat me signals with chemotherapy. So that's what we mean by the danger signals for a damaged cell. When a damaged cell spits it out and says, eat me, I'm dying, please kill me, come get me, clean me up. Um, and so the chemotherapies that often are known in a variety of different types of cancer to produce a lot of eat me signals include doxorubicin and cisplatin, which are two of the drugs that we actually use all the time in osteosarcomas. So this is a mouse model of osteosarcomas in the, the mice patients who were treated with either nothing, cisplatin, or a checkpoint inhibitor, an anti-PD-1 inhibitor, that's the immune therapy, or the combination. And what they're showing here for each of these mice is the size of their tumor. And you can see that the combination here actually worked better. The tumors were smaller when they came out compared to no treatment or either the cisplatin or immunotherapy alone. So in soft tissue sarcomas and adult type sarcomas, this is the big thing. Like there's a lot of trials combining chemotherapy with checkpoints, but there's not a huge effort yet for osteo that I'm aware of. Now, some of you may have heard about this old drug called methamertide, um, which is a, a different type of immune stimulator. It's approved and used with chemotherapy and not for osteosarcoma patients in Europe, but for a variety of reasons that I won't get into, never really took off in the United States. But I think it's something we should revisit or at least consider ultimately bringing in checkpoint inhibitors as we're doing chemotherapy up front with osteosarcomas. Um, so what else, what other drugs could possibly help um, improve the signals or, or make, make the cancer cells spit out more eat me signals? So this is a project we're doing in my lab right now. So the THP1s are a type of antigen presenting cells. So remember, these are the policemen. So we can actually grow those cells in the lab and they've been engineered to when they get activated and they're ready to go tattle and tell the T cell, hey, I've got, a, I've got something to do. Oh, like here's the danger. They spit out these two chemicals. These basically just glow, um, but they're signs of an activated um, antigen presenting cell in the lab. So what we can do is actually put in the same test tube, the antigen presenting cells and then osteosarcoma cell lines. Um, so these are osteosarcoma tumors that we just grow in, in plates like this. And then what we do is we use, we have a drug library, um, which is 2,500 different drugs that are designed to treat everything from like infections to bipolar disorder to anything you can imagine. So it's not just cancer drugs, it's all kinds of drugs. And so we treat our tumor cells with all of these different drugs and then expose the cells to these antigen presenting cells. And the hope is that these drugs are gonna cause the osteosarcoma cells to, to create eat me signals. And so how do we test for the eat me signals to be produced? All of these different things. There's stuff we do in the lab to look for markers of the, and those specific eat me signals. And we would, we're ultimately gonna pick the drugs that do the best job of all of this without hurting normal, healthy immune cells. 
And then that's ultimately, we're gonna test these in combination with checkpoint inhibitors in mouse osteosarcoma models. And then hopefully if we find a new drug that makes sense and that increases eat me signals, that could be a next, a next clinical trial for, for patients out there. So stay tuned for the, the results of this. This is ongoing now and it's taken quite some time to get it up and running, but I'm very excited about it. Um, so move shifting gears a little bit. Let's talk about how we can fix the suppressive environment. So basically imagine that it's a desert. Imagine the tumor is a desert and there's very little blood flow because these are big, bony, rocky tumors sometimes, or they don't have a lot of blood flow. So there's no oxygen getting in there. So we can't really breathe. There's no blood. So you can't really eat. I mean, this is a hard place for your immune system to function. They're like, eh, I'm not going to go there. Or if they do go there, they just get shut down and become exhausted is what we say. So um, the two ringleaders um, that lead a lot of the pathways and the signals that make this such a hostile environment are proteins called vascular growth factor or VEGF. And then the second one I'll talk about in a minute is called adenosine. So VEGF is really important in osteo. And the reason is that if you have low oxygen, it's a worse prognosis. It's a lot harder to get the chemotherapy in there. The chemo gets messed up and your immune system probably doesn't do much in that setting. Now, the good news is we've been using a lot of different chemo pills or TKIs is what we call them that are designed to block VEGF, block the vascular growth factor. And you probably recognize some of these names. Um, these are being used more and more now for patients, um, not upfront, but later on. And they've shown some pretty decent activity for patients that, you know, that can't have surgery, at least for, for tumors that are in the lungs or other places. Um, but we really haven't done a whole lot combining these drugs with checkpoint inhibitors um, or the immune boosters, except for the trial um, that Dr. Janeway presented back in 2019. And so this was a study out of China. Um, it's actually two studies that she was comparing, one with the, the blood vessel blocker, apatinib, and then one with apatinib and camerlizumab. This is an immune booster. So the, these are a small number of patients and there were some problems with the study, but overall it looked like it could have been slightly better um, with the combination. So I, I went through a lot trying to look to see if there were more trials. There's not that many, but I think there's gonna be more coming. Um, and so I think this is a really good option to try to do a one-two punch, right? So give an immune booster, but also try to neutralize some of that nasty, hostile environment um, in the tumor so that if you get your immune cells programmed and boosted, they work better. Um, the adenosine pathway. So again, another complicated pathway, but pretty much does the same thing. Um, it, it hits a lot of different immune cells and causes a lot of nasty suppressive environment inside tumors. Um, and again, so Andy Livingston, I think is the ringleader on this trial um, that's going on now that's combining an adenosine blocking drug. That's the anti-CD39 antibody oleclumab um, plus an immune booster as well. So also a really good study um, to keep in mind. Come on, there we go. Um, and so then the third thing I wanna talk about, and again, this is just sort of some, some ideas here. The third marker that many of you may know um, is a huge problem for certain patients with osteosarcoma is if you have a gene called MYC. So MYC is um, what we call a transcription factor, which means it does a lot of different things. It programs many, many, many other genes turning on or turning off. 
And there's data in osteosarcoma that if you have amplification, meaning too many copies of MYC in the tumor, lots and lots of MYC is bad. Um, the patients tend to have a higher grade tumor. Um, they tend to have more metastasis. And then ultimately, um, when you look at things like surviving um, and having your disease respond to chemotherapy, all of that gets worse. And they've shown that actually higher degrees, more MYC amplification is actually goes with a shorter time to dying. So MYC is in general a bad thing. Now, why is that? Well, it turns out in other types of cancer like leukemia and lymphoma, and then I'm gonna show you a lung model, a lung cancer model in a second, MYC actually really affects the immune system. So if you've got a ton of copies of MYC, you actually have high amounts of the checkpoint, which is that PDL1. You bring in bad macrophages that don't do their job properly into the tumor, and you form nasty blood vessels that contribute to not being able to get nutrition and oxygen across. If you get rid of it, if you can block the MYC, then all of a sudden you see your immune cells start to go back in balance. You lose the bad blood vessels and the tumors slow down. They don't grow as much. Um, sorry, weird animations here. And then this is just basically showing the same thing in a lung model, where if you have too much MYC, you get suppressive immune cells and you don't get your T cells and then your other good army of immune cells, and you get lots more of the bad blood vessel growth coming from VEGF or vascular growth factor. What you can reverse that if you can deactivate MYC, at least in these types of cancer. Um, so my incredibly wonderful and smart fellow, Jane Underdown, who's shown here, um, came to me last year um, with this idea of working on a project where she would partner with our vets um, because dogs get osteosarcoma. And what's really, 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 really cool about dogs, in addition to them being just a wonderful animal and, and part of many people's lives, is that unfortunately they get osteosarcoma that looks a lot like our human osteosarcomas. They live in the same environments that we do. Um, their genetics and their body parts are somewhat similar. That's the hair and the pointy ears sometimes. Um, they still have an immune system that does the same thing that ours does. And then if you analyze the tumors, the genetics are very, very, very similar. So what Jane is doing, um, along with Dr. Regan, who's the vet um, up at Colorado State University, um, they're actually partnering to look together at MYC amplified osteosarcomas. And we're going to look in both dogs, but also human tumors as well. And the idea is to see if those same sort of immune changes that have been shown in other types of cancer might be this case in osteosarcomas as well. Are there bad immune cells? Are there bad suppressive genes coming from having too much MYC around? And if so, there are companies that are starting to try to develop ways to target MYC, um, and it may support trying to do immune therapies um, in MYC amplified osteosarcomas preferentially, and may, we'll probably need combinations and all of that. But I think it's a really interesting project and hopefully we'll get some data from this uh, very soon. Future directions, last couple of slides here. Um, so when we talk about cellular therapies, you might've heard this called CAR T cell therapy or engineered T cell therapy or TIL therapy. What does that mean? Well, um, there's two ways you can go. You can take blood cells from a patient, um, just like you're donating blood on something called an apheresis machine. You take out the blood cells, um, and then basically you activate them in a laboratory at that point, and then you shove in a receptor. 
Now this receptor has to be specific for the marker that you already know is a problem. So this is where it gets tricky. If you don't know what the marker is, you can't do this, but there are some markers that are interesting in osteosarcoma, which I'll show you on the next page. So the idea is you put in these receptors to make the patient's own immune cells now focused and sensitive and directed towards a cancer specific protein. Um, there's some structural differences between the two, but for right now, we don't have an engineered TCR for osteo. So today, we'll, like you can just think of these as the CAR T cells. You grow up these engineered cells into billions, and then the patient gets chemotherapy, a lot of chemotherapy, just to make room for these new cells to come in. And then we give you back your own CAR T cells. So they basically we give you back your own immune cells that have been programmed and then hopefully they go crazy and they kill the cancer and everything is wonderful. Now, the other thing that we can do is we could take the patient's own tumor out. And let's say we don't know, we don't know what the, the marker is of interest that we're trying to go after. Well, if the immune cells, the T cells are in the tumor, then they're probably specific for the tumor cells. If they made it there to begin with, hopefully there's at least some that are. So you take out the tumor with surgery. You can pull out the immune cells from the tumor. We do this in our lab all the time. And then you can expand the TILs. That TIL stands for tumor infiltrating, which means going inside the tumor lymphocytes. Okay. So you can expand those into millions and millions and billions and billions of cells. And then we do the same thing. We basically give them back to patients after chemotherapy to make room for them. And then the hope is that they will go to the patient's tumor and you know, start killing off everything. So these are really, really, really cool treatments that are just starting now to really be available for, for osteosarcomas. Um, so here's a list. These are just some examples of the TCRs, but these are not for osteos, but all of these, um, targets, and again, they've got weird names, have either been studied like the HER2 car that was out of Texas Children's or Baylor. Um, and then these are all ongoing. So B7H3, GD2, and EGFR are open to ped sarcomas and other types of solid tumors. And these are CAR-T protocols. Mo you know, what happens is you have to have your tumor checked to make sure it actually has one of these markers if you're going to be on the trial, because if it doesn't, why would you get a pro why would you make your immune cells go after that target? Um, but if you do have it, I think these are really, really exciting trials and I can't wait to see some of the data from these. These are very, very early on. And then the other thing with TILs, so there are a couple of trials out there um, for osteosarcomas um, and as well as other types of sarcomas where they're doing this. So at MD Anderson, I don't know if it's for kids or not. But at least for adults at MD Anderson, they will do this whole procedure where they take your tumor and create tills um, and then give them back to you. So there's a phase two study going on there. Um, and then our lab is actually interested um, in partnership with some other folks we work with here at engineering the tills as well. So that's sort of the next wave of things is where you can make the tills work better. So stay tuned on that. But I think it's going to be really exciting. Dr. Wolfie, what about, um, I know there's some NK cell uh, yeah. also. Can you maybe talk about NK cells and how nope. those work differently? No, that's great. Yeah. So I did not, I, I always do this. There's so many different ways that you can do this. There are, so I, I kind of told you about the T cells as the master cells, but I kind of left out the, the natural killer cells, which are the NKs. There's a whole other system in your body that is designed to try to kill cancer, but it is not specific based on proteins, right? So T cells, as I said, you make a clone for a particular antigen, a particular protein. 
natural killers are just like, all right, we're here. Oh, that looks bad. Boom. That looks bad. Boom. Let's, let's get rid of, you know, whatever. There's, they're a lot less um, focused. And when T cells can't trigger, the natural killer cells often do. And so there's this huge idea for sarcomas a long time that natural killers were really important um, for sarcomas. Now we've been trying over the years to use them, um, but they're, they've been sort of slow to be effective. But I think that's gonna change because now you can actually put CAR receptors so you can engineer natural killer cells as well. Um, there's a special population called a natural killer slash T cell. So that's the best of both worlds. There's trials that um, are going on for that as well. So these are different, um, but they're again, I think also really interesting to consider. All right, so in summary, I think that, you know, that what we've learned from all the work that we have done is that there, I think there's potential here, but I think this is a very confusing group of, of sarcomas to figure this out because they have all the markers of something that's gonna respond well. They've got immune cells, they've got mutations, um, but the checkpoint inhibitors just don't seem to work. And I think, you know, we have a similar tumor on the adult side called lyomyosarcoma that's the same way. And we haven't figured out how to make immune therapy work for those patients yet either. So the take-home point is the only way to figure this out is to do clinical trials. Um, you don't wanna go down the road of immune therapy just for the sake of immune therapy by itself because your chance of getting benefit unless you have one of those super, 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 super highly broken tumors is very, very low. So you, we're likely gonna need combos and we need more of those trials. Like there's really just not that much yet going on with chemotherapy and the targeted therapies, but I think there's gonna be more in the next few years. Um, I am, I'm a huge fan of the cellular therapies that we were just talking about. So I think that's probably gonna be the most exciting direction. And so if I have patients, you know, one of the things we always talk about, you know, if they're healthy and able to travel, because not all places have these types of protocols is, should you get screened for a car protocol? Um, but they are obviously very intense and very high risk for, for side effects and toxicities and problems. And then finally, I think I've shown you a couple of examples of some new strategies that will hopefully pick out new agents to, to craft the immune system the way we want it to, or to at least be able to pick the right patients for the right treatments. So hopefully over the next year or so, we'll get some more information on this, but um, that's all I got. I am thrilled to take any questions and thank you so much for your attention. Hi, I do have a quick question. I know you kind of answered it already. My yeah. family and I have always looked into immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. I do know someone who did it before. I didn't know much about it before this, but I was wondering if there's like any benefit at all to, um, I guess, go through immunotherapy while you're going through chemotherapy. Um, I guess we, I think my family always like thought that it was like good that it would, cause it would abuse, um, not abuse, uh, um, boost your immune system and kind of like make you stronger during through, like, that's what I've always like heard about it. Yeah. So the only one that's been tested in, and if, so the thing, the thing to keep in mind with, um, with osteo, of course, is that for kids and young adults, you're getting really intensive chemo, right? Like you're getting three drugs, MAP, uh, methotrexate, and it says platin and doxorubicin. So, you know, we don't, your, your immune cells are going to go down and they're going to be up and down and up and down and up and down. So it really is about getting something on board to offset that, um, that response and hopefully take advantage of those early times where your immune cells are fully on board before mm -hmm. they drop. 
Um, the, the one thing I will say is that methamertide um, is a, it's a cytokine, basically. It's not a, a checkpoint inhibitor. It's an old, old drug. But I think that actually showed there was some benefit there. And I'm mm -hmm. convinced because that's my own thing. Like we, for in soft tissue sarcomas, chemo and checkpoints together are going to be the answer. So my push would be, let's do a trial like this. Maybe, maybe don't start in kids because of how good the response rates and the cure rates are for MAP, but maybe we start in adults who are only going to get doxorubicin and cisplatin, and they're not going to get methotrexate. And we do a little trial and just see what happens if we can get, you know, the immune therapy on board. And do people use it as a preventative after, um, you finish map and everything it's not used. Oh no. So the, the problem with immune therapy, which I didn't even talk about, cause again, it's, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. When you tell your immune system, when you block the shutoff signals for the immune system, that means your immune system is on full blast. And all of those thresholds to not attack your own healthy cells are kind of gone. So what happens is people get a lot of inflammation or autoimmunity, meaning you're attacking yourself and it can be any organ in the body. And that can be fatal. Like if it's bad, if it attacks your lungs or if it attacks your colon, that can be really, really dangerous. So the problem is, is people are hesitant to put people through the risks of that um, after you completed chemotherapy, because if you get one of these crazy side effects and you don't even have any cancer and you're cured from, you know, the rest of your disease, then that, that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. And the, the problem is, as I showed you, the immune drugs by themselves don't do much of anything. So if you did have any satellite cells left, I would be worried we'd actually make it worse. There were some patients we clearly make worse with PD-1 therapy or with the pembrolizumab. So, you know, that's kind of the reason why we haven't really done those studies yet. Makes sense. Makes sense. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to point out um, that someone did note in the chat, thank you, that uh, Dr. Pete Anderson at Cleveland Clinic and Dr. Jonathan Gill at MD Anderson have been able to procure my fritamide for pediatric patients. And I know right. they're actually, um, Dylan actually did also do MTPPE, like at the same time as MAP, he did the protocol where he started it after um, the resection. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think it's actually pretty available these days with compassionate use. It does require a little bit of um, effort, but it yeah. is, um, it, it's accessible with a little bit of work. Um, and a question came in, Dr. Wilkie, about um, given osteo is a bone forming tumor, is it true that TIL, CAR T, or NK cell therapies may be difficult to infiltrate the tumor and be effective? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's possible. I think that's very, very concerning. And that's a reason why a lot of people feel like CAR T cells for solid tumors are, will not work um, is because they're just, they're so big, big and it's hard to get into the tumor where they need to go. Um, plus cars like to go to the bone marrow for whatever reason. Like when you give the infusion, they, the first place they stop is in the bone marrow. And so if they never manage to get out and get to the tumor, that's not going to help. Um, I do think that with the targets that we're looking at though, with GD2, um, with EGFR and, and B7H3, those tend to be there a lot. Like they're highly expressed and all it takes is really even a few cells to have them. And if you get the cars in the neighborhood, it just causes like a bystander effect. Like the whole thing just blows up because one, one car is so powerful. Like it's just like a rocket ship. Um, that just goes off, you know, and, and you're not subject to sort of the usual hesitance. Um, the other piece to remember is that not all osteo is 
super, super bony. I mean, like for example, when it goes to the lungs, that is a dramatically different tumor. And I think that's why there's much more immune cells in lung tumors and lung meds from osteo because you lose some of the bone. Obviously there's still some there, but it's, it's a lot more vascular and a lot better. So maybe cars will work better in metastatic settings than primaries. Um, and you touched a little bit on this, Dr. Wilkie, about the types of um, immune cells that are found in osteo. I think you had a slide where you said there were some that had, mm -hmm. there's a good number of T cells, but has there been kind of more work done about um, kind of examining that environment? So I, I feel like I've, I've seen a few studies or heard of a few research scientists talk uh, lately about how there's definitely a, a large number of macrophages found in the tumor, uh, the suppressive um, immune cells, and then potentially like a lower number of T cells um, in osteo specifically. Mm -hmm. And so wondering if you can maybe speak to that a little bit more about just the types of immune cells um, in osteo specifically. Yeah. So again, the, the paper that I was talking about is a huge paper. So unfortunately, I just sort of picked like, I think what the, the few points were to kind of highlight here. Um, but yes, there are definitely macrophages in osteo, and that's true across many sarcomas. And there's good macrophages that actually want to do their job and kill and eat things. And then there's bad macrophages that don't want to do anything. So part of this is, is sorting out what types of macrophages are in osteosarcomas. And it looks like it tends to be these bad ones, the suppressive ones, um, which may be part of the problem. So that's one of those cells that partners with the cancer to kind of avoid getting much in the way of, a, of T cells in there. Um, you know, as far as other types of cells that are in there or like, you know, how many T cells is too many. I and mean, this is so hard because what's a lot of T cells in an osteo might not be a lot of T cells in a melanoma, for example, or a lung cancer. So I think we're still learning. Um, I think the take home was in that paper, at least, which is not a huge number of samples still it's there's clusters. So there was about a, you know, a quarter of the patients that had very low levels relative to the rest of the patients that were higher. So we definitely need more work in this space. It's really important. Um, and, you know, I think if we get a good trial going, we'll have an opportunity to get those samples and answer some of those questions. Mm -hmm. And along those same lines, and we touched on this a little bit too with um, Mick, because we have a kind of an understanding there. And I, I think there was another presenter recently who kind of mentioned that it was for mm -hmm. a specific, um, drug, I think it was for the uh, the natalizumab um, trial, or now maybe I'm mixing it up because there were two, there's the uh, bactoceratib and the natalizumab trial um, at uh, Case UH Rainbow Babies. But I know for one of them, they actually saw that there was not much effect for MIC again okay. also. And I'm wondering like the type of work that's being done to kind of look at, okay, for these different um, subtypes, you know, based on the kind of biomarkers and mutations, do we have a sense of and Mick, I know, is, is one that's already been identified, but what about for some of the other um, profiles, genomic profiles of how effective immunotherapy might be for those different profiles? Yeah, it's a great question. So again, because we haven't really done a lot of actual trials where we treated a ton of osteopatients with immunotherapy, um, that data is pretty limited. <coughs> Sorry. But um, in this there are, there are a couple of genetic findings in this paper, the, the paper that we talked about, where they associated certain genetic findings with having more immune cells there. But remember, the problem with this study was it was all just patient samples, right? They hadn't necessarily been treated with anything or with immune therapy. 
Um, so again, another one to kind of put on the list for um, for when we do actually do a, a well-designed clinical trial is to get that genetic testing. Um, I will say that in our lab, the when for the drug screen project, we actually have um, a couple of screens that we're doing in different ways. And we've made sure to select MIC amplified, but then also non-MIC amplified cell lines. Mm -hmm. So we're at least testing that because Jane is running those experiments too. And so she's, you know, so very, very much a proponent for that. But we also, for most cell lines, we have genetic data. So it would set up, like if we see responses with certain drugs in P53 mutants or um, RB1 or whatever else that would, that might help to kind of, again, offer some hope for, for different subtypes, or at least trying to choose the right patient for the right time. Mm -hmm. And um, this is kind of more, uh, this just be interesting to get your thoughts on for some of these trials where um, they need to engineer, you know, the, the, the CAR T cells in advance, you know, that takes kind of some preparation and it takes mm -hmm. a bit of time before you can actually start receiving the therapy. And so, um, and if our experience, Dylan participated in that GD2 CAR T trial at, um, with Dr. Omer down in uh, Texas Children's, which by the way, I think Dr. Omer is our guest um, next week. Oh, I really want to join him. Good. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. And um, the thing that, that was fabulous about that trial is um, that, you know, when the patient's like, you know, blood counts and everything, we're looking pretty good. Uh, we could collect the sample, send it to them to engineer the CAR T cells kind of in advance. And then it, they just That's freeze right. it and it's shelf, you know, ready, ready to go when you need it. Mm -hmm. um, which was great because, you know, otherwise it does take so much time. And if patients really needing and ready to start that therapy, you know, it's a very short window. Right. So I'm just curious, I, I, it's probably kind of um, an expensive endeavor to do the engineering part, but that also seems like an interesting part of the trial to kind of just test the engineering piece of it and make, making sure that they can successfully engineer the um, CAR T cells. So I don't know, do you have any just thoughts on like for trials moving forward, if, if that could be, the nice thing about that trial is that it was split into two. You could kind of enroll in the engineering piece before enrolling in the, I'm gonna get the therapy piece, which was really, which I think also helps with enrollment because again, patients can kind of do that in advance before they actually need it like immediately and then it's ready to go when they need it. Yeah. Um, so I'm just curious, like thoughts on, kind of incorporating that into more of these um, CAR-T trials. Because I think a barrier sometimes is the fact that like to set up the aspheresis and all, all that stuff, you know, is a lot mm -hmm. when you're at a point when you're like, I need to enroll on this trial. Exactly. So I totally agree with you. I think that's the brilliant way to run a trial. Um, what I would love, like in my perfect world, when I see an osteosarcoma patient, you would have a one-stop test that would test your tumor for the genetics that would test for germline, that would test for all of your expression for all those markers that are being targeted in trials all at one time. So that you knew, even heading into first line treatment with MAP or something, you knew exactly what you were dealing with and what, what the outlook was gonna be. Um, you know, this is, this is the way to do CARS. Like you should be able to get your tumor and have it screened for your markers um, long before you need it. Making the product, I'm surprised they're actually doing it that way. I, I, I don't, we don't have the trial here yet. We've been talking about it, but it's on, it's on the children's side. So I don't know a ton about those logistics. I'm glad to hear that. Um, that's a big deal. So it's like, if you make a, pr a product and then you're not going to use it, you know, that's, that's a bummer, right? Yes. So I, it's hard for, for some of these things, but for these small trials like this, I think it makes a lot of sense. 
Um, I am a huge proponent of pre-screen in advance, like just make the trial where they can just consent to pre-screen and test whatever you need to know if they're even a candidate so that you can plan accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I mean, just again, five years ago, I think that was not not at all the protocol where it was like, we don't need to test now because it's not going to change anything that we're going right. to do. But I think with everything that we've learned, and we actually had um, a guest on a few weeks ago, Dr. Marinoff from UCSF, who was talking about MIC. Um, and it was kind of interesting. It's like, maybe that's, you know, a kind of better prognostic factor than let's say necrosis, mm -hmm. right? We've seen that even though you have high necrosis, which in the past, I think people thought, oh, that's a you know good prognostic factor, but doesn't totally correlate um, right. 100%. And so some of these other uh, prognostic factors from this testing that you could do initially kind of might help steer your treatment plan in a different way from the start. Mm -hmm. um, so 100% agree. Yes. Now yeah. the problem is some of those markers, like that's not a standard test we just do. So like I don't go and order a GD2 stain very often. So it'd be great if these, if they would set up some kind of central laboratories set up like this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think eventually, and it's the same thing for like NYESO testing, which is something we do for other types of sarcomas. Like we need to make all that stuff sort of standard where we can start getting that information earlier so that we know and can pick and choose among therapies, right? Um, well, thank you. You, um, I could have you explain everything to me. You do such a good job of making Aww. everything so clear. Thank I was you. a big fan of the Lego analogy. <laughs> Thank you. And now I'll I always think of the stormtroopers, clone troopers. Clones. Well, so that's the thing. Know. I'm like, I, it's risky to use a Star Wars analogy because if you screw it up, that's not good. But I did, <laughs> I did do my research and make sure Attack of the Clones was actually the trooper. Right, right, right. No, those were really helpful. And those are going to definitely help me as when I'm kind of thinking about how all this stuff fits together. Um, so thank you for joining us today, Dr. Wilkie and Osteobites, and for making it better for oncology patients everywhere. Um, more information on this and all osteobites can be found on YouTube, on mibagents.org, and your favorite podcast place. And as I mentioned, next week, we're talking with Dr. Bilal Omer, the medical director at the Center for Cell and Gene Therapy at Texas Children's Hospital and Baylor College of Medicine. He's a principal investigator on four clinical trials for cell therapy, and he'll be discussing armored CAR T cells for osteosarcoma. So a great follow-up conversation um, to our talk today with Dr. Wilkie. Um, so thank you again, Dr. Wilkie, and thank you to Kerrigan, who had to drop off early for spending an hour with us today. And of course, to our sponsor, BTG Specialty Pharmaceuticals. And thank you all for joining us today on Osteobites. And we hope to see you next week when we talk to Dr. Omer. Thanks so much, Dr. Wilkie. Wonderful. Thank you guys for having me. Have a great day. Bye.